My name is Abby Everingham. I am a realtor in Calgary, Alberta. I'm coming at, at you with episode number two of my real estate investing podcast. And today we are going to talk about Airbnbs and really deep dive into someone's business who manages 40 Airbnbs around Calgary. So they're very educated when it comes to any sort of problems in building a business in the Airbnb scene. Um, last episode, I talked about interest rates rising and the, what that will have as an effect on the market. And just to further expand on that, um, right now would be an amazing time to invest because with those interest rates that have risen, it is harder for people to pass the stress test when getting approved. So it's leveling out um, the amount of people that can qualify for a house. So resulting in houses dropping their prices, staying on the market longer, and less competition when it comes to making offers. Um, this is the time when you can usually get the best deals if you look at the history of uh, houses and prices and investment properties. Um, having those high interest rates are scaring people off, especially for these next coming weeks with, with them recently have risen. Um, this is when we're going to see the biggest slowdown within these, these coming weeks. Um, so that's the time when you're, you're probably going to get the best deals. Hello everybody. Today I am here with Reese. He is an Airbnb expertise manages around 40 in Calgary and is the guy you're going to want to have a conversation with if you are interested in Airbnbs. Okay, tell me a little bit about yourself, Reese. How do you get into the industry? Um, I guess back in 2018, I was doing digital marketing for local companies here in Calgary and then I saw a few people in the city kind of doing Airbnb and I had one property with my now business partner that we owned together in Sunnyside over in Kensington. Uh, we had lived in it and then we were renting it out to long-term renters and we had a month-to-month -month tenant in it at the time and I kind of saw it as an opportunity to post it at kind of a ridiculous price and if it got rented out then it would make sense to get the current month-to-month -month renters out of there and kind of pursue it and so it was May of 2019 that I, or end of April I believe that I posted it and then the first booking came in it was 40, 47 nights and I think the nightly rate that we had put it up for was 500 bucks a night and then uh 47 nights yeah it was 40 holy shit that yeah. was the first booking you had yeah very first booking didn't really know what we were doing i kind of told mateo about it who's my now business partner saying oh i should post it up on here and we weren't too sure about it does it cost to post or anything like that and then i realized it was free to post so threw it up there and then after a couple days a 47 night booking came in and they were coming in on may 10th so we had like a week and a half to get those renters out of there and then furnish it up for kind of an Airbnb standard. And so we kind of pushed through those 10 days, maxed out our credit cards, buying new furniture, <laughs> new kitchenware, all that sort of stuff. And then, uh, yeah, first guests came in May 10th. They were there till I think it was June 3rd or something, the 47 nights brought them to. And then while they were in there, a family booked for 21 nights starting June 4th. So there was like a one day turnaround and then they came in and that was kind of the Thing that started it all and then on june 7th i think we incorporated a business and did they agree to the 500 dollars a night for that long of a stay yeah because i was new to the platform so i didn't know that they had like discounts for different length of stays the only thing i had done is when you post it they tell you or airbnb like recommends that you do a 20 percent off 
discount for the first three customers to kind of get people in the door and get mm -hmm. reviews. And so I think they got 20% off the total price. Okay. So is it a thing where when someone books your Airbnb, they will try and negotiate price a lot or is it more so they'll just book and accept? Like, is the, can you even negotiate price or? Yeah, absolutely. I think any sale is up for negotiation. With Airbnb, you have like a wide variety of people. We've had people like, all of our properties have an instant book feature. Mm -hmm. And so we've had people instantly book three months all at once without even talking to us. But then we've also had people try to book a two or three night stay that negotiate the rate down and, and everything in between that. And so a lot of times people will just instant book it for the rate it's at. A lot of times people will reach out and just say, oh, hey, you know, this is my budget. Is this something you can do? Or, oh, hey, it's last minute. Could you, you know, lower it down to this price? And it's kind of a case by case, you know, depending on the type of person, uh, their intent, what we think they're trying to do with the property, all affects in terms of how we're going to deal with that sale. But just like any sale in the world, I think it's up for negotiation. And if you have the right case for it and or the, the, the stay makes sense, then we might, you know, bring that price down to meet their budget depending on a lot of things, right? If a family's trying to book a six month stay, they're displaced with insurance because their house flooded and their insurance budget is, you know, 6,000 a month and ours is listed at 75, you know, very well, we'll, we'll bring that down um, very often to their 6K budget and get them in there. So what was the process like to find your first Airbnb? Like what features did you look for? How did you find it? Like walk me through that. Yeah, so like I said, that first one we had, we had just bought out of high school, but then when we went to get our first property for the business, we we kind of did our market research on Airbnb and a bunch of other sites, and location seems to be the biggest thing in terms of getting a consistent, um, a consistent amount of travelers coming in and a variety of travelers coming in. And so we chose kind of downtown as, as well as surrounding areas of downtown. And then we just started looking on Rent Faster, which is kind of the local spot to look for rentals in Calgary anyway. Um, I know in the States there's Zillow and different things like that, but we looked specifically on Rent Faster and we toured a bunch of different apartment buildings downtown. And then we'd meet with the landlords, explain to them what we're trying to do and what the pros and cons are to having a renter like us in there. And then the very first one we got was in the Keynote building downtown here in Calgary. It's a super hot location. There's a grocery, Sunterra grocery market right underneath it. It's two blocks from the Stampede. And so we got a two bedroom, two bath condo in there on the 19th floor. And that was the first property we ever picked up in the business. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So you're at 40 now. Yeah. Congratulations on that. Thank you. What do you think you would go back to your when you were first starting off and tell yourself um, with before you even started the business um, that you've learned now that you've hit like the mark of having 40 like what advice would you give to your younger business self um, I would say for myself personally to like trust in the process because my business partner is the one that kept pushing us to get more properties and I do all the accounting because that's where my background is with college I, I took an accounting course and so I was looking at the numbers being like, we can't take on more properties. We don't have money for this. We need to get loans. We need to do this. We need to get more credit cards and max them out. But he kept pushing me to, you know, kind of just say, you know, figure it out. We'll do it and we'll keep reinvesting into it until we get to a level where we actually have good cash flow coming in. And so I would just say if I was talking to my younger self to trust the process, because I know those first probably eight to 10 months were very stressful in terms of looking at numbers and being like, we do not have the funds to support this, 
but we figured it out and we were able to get loans and set them up in a way that we could pay them off interest free and so that that's all i'd really say is trust the process and not worry too much about it because our goal from the start was always to over execute and not get caught up in the in over analysis and learning too much and then becoming paralyzed and not being able to move to action and so my business partner was good at continuing to push that agenda of getting more properties and signing deals before we had funds for it yeah and then we had no choice but to execute and make it happen so i would say just trusting that process what do you think the future of airbnb is like for calgary like 10 years from now what do you see the airbnb market like yeah i mean it's hard to predict anything but i know right now with different uh like house prices climbing a lot of people in our kind of age gap or generation might not be able to afford houses with the jobs they have and so a lot of people are leaning more towards rentals these days from people i talk to anyways they'd rather rent and kind of be carefree in a sense where they don't have to worry about a mortgage they don't have to worry about that asset and they can pick up and go at any time they want whether they want to go travel for a year move to a new town and have a new job kind of thing and so i think rentals are becoming more and more prevalent in our economy here uh, even in downtown right now they're repurposing a lot of the commercial buildings for residential rentals and so i think over time like right now the long-term and short-term rental market is super strong and i think we'll continue to see a lot more purpose-built rentals coming into play rather than condo buildings that are sold to individual owners that they then rent out themselves developers are building assets that then are just strictly meant for rentals and i think we'll see a lot more of uh kind of that in Calgary over the next 10 years. So I know in some places around Canada, people have told me that uh, Airbnbs are becoming like not as legally allowed. Do you think that'll ever happen here? Um, we have certain like bylaws that limit it. I, I don't think it's necessarily like, I think every condo building in every city has their own bylaws and zoning rules surrounding Airbnbs. And so in Calgary, it's pretty good in terms of the zoning we have. I don't actually think it'll change much based off of uh, just the way, excuse me, the economy is and how everything is going. But what I would say is to avoid condo buildings that are owned by individuals because you're at the mercy of their board of directors. They can change bylaws at any time within their building. And that's what happened to us in COVID with that Kino building is they banned short-term rentals under 30 days. And at the time we had multiple renters coming in that were under 30 days. And so then you have to pivot and adjust. But if you're able to set up a contract that allows you to do what you're doing, and if for whatever reason down the road, the developer, the landlord doesn't want you to do that, having a clause in your contract that safeguards you from that saying the leases are voided and I can leave scot free, I think would be your best way to go about um, any sort of changes that might happen in the market, just having an ironclad contract with whoever you're doing business with. So what are your goals for your company? Like, where do you want to see your company grow to? What are your big five-year goals? Yeah, so our biggest goal in Calgary has always been to get to 100 properties as soon as we can, and that's all rental arbitrage, so strictly units that we lease. But then one thing um, that we don't see a lot happening in the market is people actually buying assets, and then through short-term rentals, increasing the value of that building. And so if you were to buy, say, a 10, 20, 30, 50-unit building, and operate half of those as short-term rentals, half of them as long-term rentals, and do that for a few years, you'll effectively increase the cap rate of that building and the value of that building. Then you could flip it to an investor group or a REIT, and you could pull the equity out and put it into the next project. And so 
our model right now is rental arbitrage where we rent units from a landlord or a developer and we re-rent them out on the short-term market the goal down the road will be to actually purchase our own assets whether it's single family homes apartment buildings altogether, um, and then operating those on a short-term basis so i'm assuming you're thinking airbnb is more profitable than long-term rentals correct i would say it, yeah it's more cash flow heavy for sure so why 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 do you think that do you think there's more risk involved with it do you think like would you ever do focus more on long-term rentals or are you going to stay solely with airbnbs or what do you think like if someone is came to you and was like okay i'm really indecisive because airbnbs there's people have less less um remorse for your property and the, like you could get turned up more so i'm kind of thinking long term but i know you can potentially make more with airbnb but with like covid it's a little bit more risky because also people aren't traveling as much what would you say to them i would say that long term is a good strategy if you're worried if you just want to cover your costs and you want consistent cash flow where airbnb lends itself a ton of advantages for somebody who's willing to persevere through slow months is that people are are willing to pay a ridiculous amount for the value you inject into a short-term rental. And so our pricing strategy has always been a value-based pricing strategy where the more value we put into a property or into the services we're providing that guest from customer service to extra services like bike rentals, massages, uh, you know, daily cleaning, all that sort of stuff, the more value you put into it, people are, there are people in the market that are willing to pay for that. And so I think you can make way more off of the short-term rental market because people know what they're getting there whereas you know with the long-term furnished rental it might just be you know you got your uh, a bed frame a mattress you know some basic furniture and may, maybe not even kitchen stuff maybe basic kitchen stuff whereas if you're going to a short-term rental like one of ours we outfit it with everything you could poss possibly need so that if you just show up with a suitcase you have everything at your disposal if you need extra guidance or services throughout the city you're traveling in or living in at that time we're here to provide that 24 7 on a customer service basis and so i think going back to your question there of which is better I, I i think there it's good to have a diverse portfolio to an extent but with airbnb where a lot of people don't think have grasped onto it is that we get a ton of six to nine month rentals through airbnb and through that short term so even though it's under 12 months it's still six months at a you know three four x premium that somebody's paying and they're treating your space with respect their family that's in there or their corporate company that's putting some employees in there and so it's getting well taken care of at a great budget and it's just as good as a long-term rental and realistically a lot of our things we talk with landlords about are the cons about long-term rentals in terms of how often your um what's it called how often your um, like dishwasher, laundry, all that stuff is getting used. If you have a long-term renter in there living there full-time, they're using that on a daily and weekly basis. Whereas if we have short-term renters coming into our spaces that a lot of times they don't even use the laundry, they eat out a lot, they don't use the stove. So all of your appliances are getting way, a way better lifetime value and they're lasting longer and they're not breaking down as quick. And so there's a lot of pros and cons to the short-term side of things. And with the cons, as long as you have proper uh, security measures set up, I think you can avoid 99% of the cons that come with short-term rentals. So do you have Airbnbs outside of downtown? 
Um, the furthest out we'd have, like like I said, most of ours are like neighboring downtown now. We do have some in Hillhurst, which is kind of just on the other side of the Bow River, so just outside of downtown. Martaloop is where we just set up our five new units, and so that's a new community we're testing out, but it, it's it has everything you need in that area, so I think it'll perform well, but we do have some neighboring kind of areas like Britannia, Hillhurst, Martaloop, um, Bridgeland even is an up and coming community. So do you see the ones that are on surrounding communities as opposed to right downtown, those are the ones that are getting rented more long term opposed to for just like nights at a time? To a certain degree, I would say they also attract a little bit better of a clientele than something right in downtown. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what's the process you take in setting up an Airbnb? Walk me through it. Yeah, so we, you know, we look on RentFast or sites like that. Now where we're at, we get a lot of projects that are just, you know, referred to us, uh, different buildings that are coming up that are being constructed. Uh, we get a lot of things coming to our table, but we look at location primarily and what's in that location. You need a grocery store, you need parks and stuff like that in the surrounding area. You need quick access to major roads in Calgary. So if people are coming in, they got to be able to travel if they're going to check out different tourist activities. Um, having access to some of those major roads. Um, location, I do think, is the number one thing. And then beyond that, it's kind of the asset itself. So it's like, is the asset new? Is it old? You know, did they cheap out on a bunch of stuff? Did the developer who built it, did they put a bunch of extra money into it to make it, you know, a, a well-rounded home that somebody could go and live in and enjoy it? And what's the kind of community surrounding that? But I think it always goes back to the location and what's around that. Because a lot of times people that are traveling in, like tourists, they might not be renting a car. And so they want somewhere where they can get a cab from the airport or an Uber to their destination. And then everything's kind of within a quick walking distance or a quick scooter with the electric scooters we have here in the, in the city. So I, I do think location is the biggest factor when it comes to that. Okay. so. More so, I want you to walk me through like when you get a property, when do you stage it, when do you get, do you get it cleaned, um, do you do anything to differentiate the property so it stands out on the app opposed to other properties on there? Yeah, for sure, because when people scroll Airbnb, they're going to see what's called your hero photo, which is like your thumbnail photo, and you want that to stand out. And so kind of the process to setting up an Airbnb once the contract is signed is sourcing out all the furniture and so we go to like all the different stores we get what we need uh, we try to negotiate get the best stuff and we're always like uh, this is where my business partner is really good about the interior design even though we're two guys it's kind of funny he happens to be good at it and he'll search up like what colors are trending right now what colors are in what colors are out, awesome. what colors match what patterns go together and so he's really good at that i can't take the credit there he'll kind of pick everything out and in terms of artwork and pillows and blank that's like the big thing that's going to pop in your photos um, a lot of times your hero photo that I was talking about is going to be a living room shot and so you want those pillows on the couch to pop out in the photo so when people are scrolling it kind of grabs their attention and whether they view it or they click on it even if they don't book it at least they click on it which is going to help you rank higher on Airbnb and so we take all that sort of stuff into account in terms of making places vibrant not super dull um, and then once we kind of have all the furniture sourced out and ordered in that's kind of the first part is, is getting all that stuff ordered and purchased and then I mean up till now it's been ourselves as well as some team members or friends that we bring out to help just setting up the units uh, I've been hanging all the artwork we hang the TVs uh, a lot of the furniture we get from a company where they come and 
uh, deliver it and assemble it. So everything from couches, bed frames, nightstands, coffee tables, a lot of that sort of stuff they provide. And that stuff's a little bit more cookie cutter, but then that's where we spend a lot more on our artwork, on the pillows, the blankets. Uh, I know I mentioned coffee tables, but we'll actually buy coffee tables a lot of times because that's just one little piece of the living room that if it's different in each suite that you have, it makes it, kind of brings it to life and makes it stand out from each suite. Um, whereas like if the couches are the same type of couch from the same company, but with different pillows, different blankets, different coffee table, um, different artwork surrounding that living room, it kind of brings it all together and makes it stand out. And so that's kind of how it goes. It's We try to do it as quickly as possible um, for each unit, depending on our timeline and everything with the building and their permits. but. Our goal is to always get it to market as quickly as possible. And so as soon as we have that contract signed, it's full speed ahead, getting everything set up uh, inside of the units. We do a few cleans kind of intermittently as we're setting up furniture. And then once everything's set up, we do one big final clean. Photographers come in there, do their photos. We get the photos the next day, we post it live, and then it's all set up from there. So you rent furniture, you don't buy furniture for all your Airbnbs, right? Um, so the big pieces, like I was saying, couches, bed frames, it's kind of like a similar to a Netflix subscription where you subscribe and then you get access to it. We do the same thing. So we, you know, a couch might cost us 35 bucks a month. And then over that, the retail on that couch might be, you know, 2000 bucks. And so if you're paying 35 bucks a month, let's say it takes you, you know, four to five years to pay that couch off, you would then own it the company will buy it back from you and repurpose it, refurbish it and put it back out into their market. And so it's, it's not like a lease to own, it's more like a subscribe where you could cancel any time and they'll come pick it up from you. They'll dis disassemble it after you know two years, say you've spent a couple hundred bucks on, on renting that couch. They'll come take it back, put it back into their product cycle and send it out to a new customer. But if you did happen to have it for a number of years, eventually you will own it but then they're more than happy to buy it back from you. And that helps us uh, offload a lot of the front end costs of setting up a unit rather than spending 12K on furniture. We're able to do it for, you know, say two bedroom cost us 200 bucks a month. We get all the big furniture and then the rest we obviously buy outright, but it does help on, on that end. So how much money do you think you invest into an average property um, when it's set and done for like staging it? Yeah, so if I take a two bedroom property, for instance, let's say like you have 2,500 for like your first month's rent that you gotta set aside or make up. And we have um, we have things in our contracts that allow us to make that cash flow and not spend it just directly out of pocket. Um, but I would say on average, like say two bedroom, you're gonna put in anywhere from, depending on your budgeting, like six to $10,000 for sure, in terms of your artwork, TVs, you know, different electronics, the kitchenware is the big thing. So getting like nice stainless steel pots and pans rather than a cheap uh, set of Teflon, getting like a nice knife block that actually has sharp knives, uh, you know, like a nice kettle, a nice drip coffee maker. There's so many things in the kitchen that a lot of people don't focus on. They try to just get basic Ikea crap. And I think that will actually cost you more in the long run and provide a worse guest experience. And so we go all out on the kitchen stuff. And, and I'd say it costs probably six to $10,000 depending on the size of the unit for okay. a two bedroom. And on average, how many nights of the year, like what percentage of the year do you think it's being rented out opposed to vacant? 
yeah, so I, I couldn't speak for all hosts in the community, but I know our company itself, we do stay above a 90% occupancy throughout the whole year. 90%? Yeah. Holy shit, I thought it was like, going to be like 60. Yeah, I think the market average is about 60%, but you have to keep in mind that a lot of people on Airbnb are renting out their home that they don't live in in the summer when they go to their summer home. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's kind of a skewed number, but if you're here to make a business and make money out of it, I don't think it makes sense to have anything below 90, right? And so do you, if, if something say like, let's go back to like that $500 a night, if you're seeing that it's not being rented out like that frequently for a specific week, say it's just a slow February week, would you lower the price in order to make sure it gets rented out because anything's better than nothing like type deal or exactly so i've had say for instance just for easy numbers i've had properties go for 14 dollars a night which is the lowest you can put it to on airbnb and i've had that same property go for over 700 dollars a night and so that's where being active in your business and a lot of people in airbnb think about it as passive income where i set up a property i make money on it i set a price of you know 250 bucks a night, you know, I get a 60% occupancy, I make three, four K, whatever it is. Um, but we try to keep high occupancy. It's better for the platform in terms of how you rank on it, the more nights you have booked. Um, and so we'll actively lower our pricing that, you know, as we get closer to those unbooked days so that they get rented out. And a lot of times we'll get, you know, even last night, we had a couple properties get rented out at 10 to midnight in those last few hours of the night that can be rented and it's dirt cheap price for the guests but at least it keeps our occupancy numbers high like you said some money is better than nothing and then with those guests as well they leave good reviews that adds to your airbnb your ranking your business your branding um, and then it, you know a lot of times too they're going to save that property to their wish list and then when they go to travel again they're going to stay with you again what did you say the lowest price a night the lowest price we rented a property out for is 14 dollars a night that's insane. Fourteen dollars a night, and that's like a nice, like two bedroom, two bath, fully furnished in the heart of downtown. So do you just drop the price like last minute, and then it gets rented out, or yeah, or do people like negotiate it down to fourteen dollars? No, night? that would be us dropping it down. So say for instance, we have a property downtown uh, with twenty units in it, and so if we have a one bedroom property that's not rented out, you know, the day of today, it's Wednesday, let's say. Right now at, you know, 12 in the afternoon, that property might be at, you know, 147 bucks. At two o'clock in the afternoon, we're gonna drop it to 133 bucks. At four o'clock, five o'clock, it's gonna be dropped down to, you know, $117 a night. And then throughout the day, by the time we get to midnight, the reason we do that as well, this is a good little tip for anyone out there who's doing Airbnb, is because if you have a low price, even if it doesn't get booked out, people are gonna click on it and they're gonna say, why the heck is this you know, two bedroom, two bath property listed for 33 bucks? And then they click on it, even if they're not even looking to book because they're looking to book a week later, you're getting the clicks, you're getting the views, you might get a wish list saved. And so where a lot of people don't understand, Airbnb is just like Google, it's a search algorithm and it's all, it's an interest-based algorithm. And so the more interest you get into your property in terms of views, clicks, wish list saves, the time they're spending on your listing, that's going to help you rank better and so a lot of the times we're lowering that price just so that people will click on it even if they don't book it and if they do book it we deal with it whatever we're still going to make money on the cleaning aspect of it because even though it's 14 bucks a night they're going to spend you know 140 dollars on a cleaning fee and then that covers the cleaning fee a little bit more 
Um, and so the nightly rate might be 14, but there will still be taxes and fees on top of that. Okay. Just to clarify. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So can you see who, like the names of the people who click on your ad? Like, can you see like, say like Bob Smith clicked on your ad and then even if you just viewed it, but didn't book it, can you see that and then message him and like start an offer? Is that a thing on Airbnb? No, Airbnb doesn't show you any of that. They'll show you like how many clicks and views you got and like how much of an increase or decrease percentage that is from like the last month or the last week, but they won't give you actual uh, profile information on who that was. Hmm. Yeah. So it has its own algorithm, obviously, like you've stated. The way to boost your algorithm is having more people click on it, wish lists. Um, is there anything else you can do to make sure you're high in the algorithm? Yeah, there's a lot of things like besides the interest that a, that a, a potential Airbnb traveler is showing to your listing, there's also things you can do as a host that is gonna make you rank higher. One of them is making sure you have a complete listing. And so when you first post to Airbnb, it'll make you do like four or five things to like publish it, but then there's still like 20 other sections to fill out. You know, there's uh, neighborhood information, there's information about the suite, information about the building. They have, you know, a hundred plus amenities that you can check off. And so if you don't have like a hundred percent complete listing, Airbnb will not rank you as high. How do you get rated a super host? Uh, super host. Are you a super host? Yeah, like we've been a super host from the very, like uh, every quarter they reevaluate and you get it. And so within our first quarter, we became super host. We've been like one ever us. since. I, I, super <laughs> host in my mind doesn't mean a whole lot because all it really has to do with is your five star ratings are above a certain amount. Your response time is within a certain amount. And then there's like a few other factors, but like in my mind, if you're not a super host, like. You're, you're just doing mailed. something wrong. You're doing something very wrong if you're not mm. a super host because it has to do with your response time and your reviews are like the two major things. I think there's a few other factors in there for sure, but we keep our response times always like seconds, if not minutes, and then we keep our reviews above 4.9 like all the time. What's the biggest issue you came into contact with with Airbnb? Like, what was the biggest? Like, did you ever have a point where you like were like, oh my god, like? This is too much. I don't even know if this is like. Um, I've never had that. Like a, you know, this is too much for me. My my personality has always been to push through and, and persevere, um, even in the face of adversity. But we've experienced any negative thing that somebody has talked about with Airbnb. We have experienced anything from a bad guest, a bad review. You know, a guest demanding way too many things. Um, you know, sketchy guests that are doing illegal activities, evicting guests losing money from doing you know a private stay where maybe the the check bounces and they're out of there uh, we've had issues with payments on certain platforms that we use where the payment never actually went through but the guests stayed in the property and were gone and so i've experienced every single negative that somebody could talk about with airbnb but at the end of the day if you're going to succeed you got to persevere through those lows and and figure out and take the lessons from what you did wrong rather than blaming the platform or blaming the guest look at what you could have done better as a host to prevent that situation and then actively act on it and not just let it go to the wayside so if you had a guest party in a unit it's like oh why did this happen did we not vet the guest properly were we not checking the cameras were we not you know checking this this or that and then making sure you have a system in place so that, that doesn't happen in the future if someone wants to be like become an airbnb person 
Um, is there any like websites you recommend to gain knowledge or how do you like talk like how do you recommend they research before getting into the industry? Yeah, there's a lot of different Like sites. what did you do before? Yeah, like I mean I personally base most of my decisions off of gut and intuition, but I would say the best person to go and learn from online for free is Sean Rockajic. He runs a channel that used to be called Airbnb Automated. I think you might just call it uh, Sean Rockajic now for uh, different purposes. But if you search up Airbnb Automated on YouTube or Google, I'm sure he'll pop up. And he is one guy that gives away tactical information for free. And he is the only guy on YouTube that I've uh, consistently watched and taken in information, deployed it in the market and that it's actually worked. And so I would say he is your best bet. There's a ton of gurus out there and people that sell courses on Airbnb, but I'd say if you just want solid information to go off of, he's a great guy to go to. His hundreds of videos that you can go and reference um, and all of his is based off of real experience and it's tactical information, it's not just fluff. And so I would say he's by far the best one I've taken knowledge in from. So when are like illegal situations happen in your Airbnbs, say like, um, you know, like you see like in like a video camera on the door outside that like, I don't know, sketchy people are pulling up or like you think it's like a prostitution situation or like you see like when they're walking in like, I don't know, drugs or whatever. How do you, how do you go about that? Yeah, so we have a system in place and all has to do with documenting the process. And so if you notice some red flags from a guest, your best thing to do is call Airbnb if that's who they're booked through. If it's a VRBO or a different site, then call the respective uh, platform you're booking with, but uh, or that the guest booked with. And so if it's Airbnb, for instance, um, we would call Airbnb We'd notify them of the red flag, say, hey, you know, this is going on. We've been we've been tracking it and, and you know, basically what it goes back to as well is your house rules that you set up as a host. That's one section that a lot of people don't might not think about. But your house rules are basically an agreement that any traveler who books your property is agreeing to before they book your property. And so if you have things in there like no parties, you know, a party will result in immediate eviction. You want all of it to be worded in a professional manner as well. But having those house rules in there, when somebody books, they agree to them. If they violate any of those, it's grounds for eviction. And so we have very thorough house rules in all of our listings. And so as soon as we see those red flags and house rules get broken, we call an Airbnb representative, we document with it, with them, we explain to them that we're gonna evict, evict the guests based off of you know these reasons. And then we then go down to the property ourselves. We send the guest a message letting them know that unfortunately they're being evicted due to these reasons. Um, that we have to ask them to leave immediately. Once we send that message off, we go knock on the door and then we deal with it from there in a kind of as professional manner as quickly as possible. Do you think Calgary is a profitable place to have an Airbnb? Extremely profitable. More so than other places in Canada? Um, I can speak on that just because we haven't operated in any, any other markets right now. Um, I've seen people succeed in other markets for sure, but I, I wouldn't be able to comment on how profitable it'll be just because I haven't been in those markets. But Calgary, for sure, I've been here for three years. We've gone from you know zero to 40 properties within that time. And the reason is because we've been profitable throughout. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get that. Like, like saying like a place like 
Kelowna, like where the average detached house is like a million dollars, um, their main months would be the summer, but they can charge like three hundred to four hundred dollars a night there. Yeah, like nightly rates to me are always a funny metric to go off of because, like I said, I've had properties go for seven fifty a night, and that same property has gone for a hundred a night. And so nightly rates are always funny to me. We look at rolling averages over 30 days and high season and low season. And so in Kelowna, your high season is your summer months, May till October mm -hmm. there. We've done some research, but then as well in Kelowna, you have a ton of skiers going there in the winter. And so really your dead months in Kelowna would be November till January. And January picks up for skiing right after Christmas time. And then in April, they have a big wine fest going on there. And so that brings in a lot of people. And so, you know, even in Calgary, like our slow season is kind of four or five months, kind of between that November to March kind of range. Uh, and Clone is very similar. And so I think what you have to understand if you're going into a market is what is happening year round? When do the most travelers come? Cause that's when you can charge the most. But then in those slow months, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to break even or at least make a small margin on your property. And that's where like Airbnb is lucrative because in the summer you can make 4X multiples on your costs. Whereas in you know the slower months or the slow season, you might break even, but then on the yearly average, you're still a profitable company. It's still a profitable property. Yeah, I mean, you probably had a pretty good week with Stampede just happened, huh? Yeah, I mean, Stampede's always great, especially because- Is that the best week of the year? 100% in Calgary for sure because you have so many people coming to town and majority of people the lead time for booking on Airbnb is about five days So is there any way like during Stampede because I know you can make a lot during Stampede to make sure that like you're really maximizing it like is there any strategies that you have to make sure you're maximizing it like and standing out from other properties and for that week, or is it just making sure your algorithm's good throughout the year, so when Airbnb comes, your property's one of the, like, the first that comes up when people search up properties in Calgary? No, like a massive thing, like in any market, if you know there's events going on, you should have your prices skyrocketed for those events if you know people are coming in for something. And then where, where we kind of get the best of both worlds is that most people want to get booked out in advance. They're worried about it. And so when they get closer to those days, they're worried about the property not getting booked. And so most people in Calgary, they've been booked out for the last few months for Stampede. And then most people that are going to book last minute, once they, it, all pricing has to do with supply and demand. And so if there's, you know, 40 spots left in Calgary and those are all mine, people are going to have to book them. And so like I was saying how a lot of times we'll lower pricing the day of or as we get closer, Stampede is a caveat to that where we do not lower pricing, we increase pricing the closer we get to Stampede because there's nothing left in the market and people need to book a place. And where a lot of people miss out is kind of that gut intuition willing to persevere because we'll be getting you know one, two days before Stampede, 50% of our portfolio is unbooked, but then all the bookings just roll through all in one day because people are doing their last minute bookings, they need a place to stay, there's only a few left in the market, they see ours, it looks great, it's you know, seven, eight hundred bucks a night for a one bedroom, they book it. And, and that's what happened this year, is we got, a lot of people were booking maybe a couple months out, and the prices were skyrocketed, so we got great rates there. And then to fill in gaps on other properties, they were just as high, and we didn't have to lower them because there was only so much supply in the market. So what happens if someone completely trashed the place? Like if you go back the next day, there's like maybe a punch in the wall, yeah. like 
beers all over like is there anything that how do you go about that do you charge them or like yeah so airbnb is great like they have an insurance policy for hosts and so as a host every booking you get airbnb takes three percent and as part of that you have like a host guarantee host protection and so the biggest thing for that is having documentation of your receipts of what's inside of your unit and so if a guest comes in for one night they trash it they break a bunch of stuff holes in the wall we go in there we document it all with photos and then we submit a claim to airbnb with receipts of like you know this was damaged this was damaged we have to get a carpet cleaner in here to clean puke off the carpet we have to do this this and that here's the invoices for what we had to pay to get done here's all the receipts for the stuff that got broken that we had to replace and then airbnb is good in the sense that they'll evaluate that and as long as you stay on top of them to pay you out you'll get paid out and and we've successfully had like tens of thousands of dollars over the last three years of operating and claims paid out and a lot of people say oh well, that's no good it's like well if you're gonna if you're gonna have people stay you know and things go awry and things get broken it's like you might as well have proper documentation to get it paid out so it's by no means a brag or a flex you want to avoid that stuff at all possible you know in, in all possible ways but when it does happen you better have your proper documentation to be able to charge that guest back for it. And as long as you do, you should get paid out for it. So Airbnb takes 3%. Is that like 3% of like um, the total, including like the cleaner's fee? Yeah, they take 3% of the host payout and then they charge travelers anywhere between kind of three to 14% from my understanding. So okay. that's how they make their money. Um, so for to simplify it, say you're making like five hundred dollars on a property, how much are you get is you yet I mean um, is Airbnb getting? Um so like easier path for me if it was a thousand bucks let's say for a night they would take like thirty bucks off of that, right? From us. Thirty dollars out of a thousand. Yeah. So like small, small, small. Yeah, three percent on every so and it's similar to like a processing fee. So if you charge if I have a customer book privately through my website and I charge and they pay with credit card, the credit card company is going to charge me like 2.9%. So it's kind of just like the cost of doing business. If I'm getting a thousand dollar payout, Airbnb is taking 30, so I'm taking whatever it is. Um, the guest is probably paying like 1100 because Airbnb is also going to charge them a service fee for using their platform to book. Yeah. So my host payout is different than what the guest gets charged, and then Airbnb takes their cut from both sides. Do you have any companies other than Airbnb? That we use? No, 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 just in, just like. Um, well, no, like, so we, the first company I started was Grow Assets. And the whole idea with that is like, we wanna work with developers, single family homeowners to grow their assets. So if I rent your property, it continues to appreciate. I pay down your mortgage, which is their pain point. Um, and, and we're helping them grow their asset. That was like the idea with Grow Assets when we started that in 2019. 2019, and you stopped it. No, that one's still, it's kind of just like a background company. Sure. It's kind of like the umbrella company per se, right? And so that's the company that approaches developers. That's the company that rents the units. And then the new company we created as of kind of over the last year is called Stay Unique because we kind of realized that you need a front-facing brand for the traveler and for a traveler to like, say if you're going to stay privately with us, grow assets. Kind of sounds funny. doesn't really sound like a travel company or like a place to stay at, but Stay Unique sounds it kind of encaps, encapsulates what i wanted to do i want to provide unique customer service to guests that isn't 
around in the industry. I want to provide unique experiences to guests. I want to provide unique stays to guests. And so we, we provide unique stays. And so we're, and then it's kind of a double entendre where, where we're telling our customers as well to stay unique, right? Be yourself, you know, come stay in our properties, get a unique experience. And so stay unique is kind of that front facing brand that will evolve into more of a travel type company. Whereas Grow Assets is more the acquisition company that will work on the back end with the developers, with the landlords and that sort of stuff. Okay. Yeah. So how did you come up like, like, with the logo and the name like when did you do that and like when did you know like okay i'm in it enough that i need to come up with the company name the logo like a whole get incorporated moment yeah like i mean well grow assets was incorporated back in 2019 but then when we entered into some partnerships with developers on uh, on a 20 unit building we did or we took 20 units in a building um part of that agreement was for us to come up with a front-facing brand something okay. that sounds more appealing to a traveler sure. and so we kind of went to the whiteboard and you know we came up with 200 different names and then we partnered up with a marketing company and it was just one night me and my business partner going back and forth on our list of 200 names and we were thinking like unique urban stays like unique stays in calgary like all this stuff and then it hit me i said stay unique i'm like that yeah it's like stay unique stay in a unique spot we're telling the customer to stay unique and like it just makes sense it just clicked because i think i was thinking unique stays at first but it doesn't quite have that ring to it yeah or stay unique did and then so we partnered up with this marketing company to help us with the branding and the logo they sent us you know 10 different logo variations and then there were certain things i liked about there was two one of them i liked the font one of them i liked the logo um, and i didn't like the colors on either of them so i kind of said you know this is what i like about this one this is what i like about this one i want the colors to be like this and then they gave us back a variation of that kind of combining it and uh, that came up with this logo here. Um, it's kind of the icon, and then there's a full, you know, word logo as well. But um, that was kind of how that all came together, and that was just kind of the last year here. Uh, I think we started with that marketing company in August. Okay, explain the logo. Yeah, so like kind of the, the what it's supposed to be. The this icon. is the logo on his hat. Yeah, so <laughs> the icon here. You know this part on this side is supposed to kind of be like a detached or like yeah. a, a section of a home and so when it is combined with the full like stay unique the y kind of creates the other section of the home for it to look just like a, a very standard like stick figure type house uh, but then the icon on its own kind of has that kind of like catchy look kind of looks like a dash or it just looks like something that people can remember uh, kind of like a nike swoop right as soon yeah. as you see that swoop you know it's nike and so that was my idea with the icon it's just something simple that people can remember and then start to associate with something and not have to remember to stay unique they just see this they know oh yeah that's stay unique um and so that's kind of my goal with that brand is to you know do a lot of cool things with it and on the travel side the tourism side experiences even clothing for travelers um, is something we're thinking about down the line uh, and there's a lot of cool things you can do with that once you start to get into that hospitality space and see like what hotels do like when you go to a hotel at the Fairmont they have branded um, robes for when you get out of the shower they have branded towels they have branded coasters they have all the stuff branded within the suite where guests like to take that home with them or pay for it because it's super comfy and so that's part of that idea too is having branded merchandise and materials inside of our units that's constantly that's printing cool. that brand into the kind of consumer's mind so that you know three four years from now they're traveling they see that they're going oh, yeah, i stayed with that company i have I a road with that logo on it, right? <laughs> so that's kind of the whole idea
idea what state you need is to kind of more gear towards that traveler side of the industry. That's super awesome. Um, okay, is there, we're at 30 minutes on this one, 17 on the other, so at 47 minutes. We're killing it. Yeah. Is there anything else? Plug your uh, social media. What's your Instagram handle? Uh, my Instagram handle is Reese J. Bobe. It's Reese, like Reese's Pieces. R-E-E-S-E-J-B-O-B-I-E-R. And then we have uh, Stay Unique YYC as well for the company. Any other things you want to promote? Do anything like that? Like anything else coming? Want to like throw a link into your merch company or what? <laughs> uh, none of that is up and running yet, but I would say if you, if you want to follow along the journey, we have done a ton of documentation, but one thing I would like to do um, is just document the process of growing this company. And so that's something we'll start to do more of um, kind of 20, late, late 2022 here in 2023. And so I would just say if you want to follow the journey, see how we continue to pick up properties and how quickly we do that, go ahead and follow the Instagram there. Uh, we'll be posting more on there now that we kind of leveled off to a spot where we have cash flow, where we have employees, and now we can start to do more of that outreach marketing. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> so Reese is someone that I am in close contact with and work with. Um, I have multiple other clients and people in my sphere that invest in Airbnbs. I've worked with them a lot. Um, if it comes to looking for a property that is gonna be used for an Airbnb, I always pull comps of comparables on the site and comparables of recently solds to make sure you're getting a good deal. Um, rental, historical, community stats, all of that like that, and I'll bring that all with every single showing we do. Um, if you are interested in getting an Airbnb or looking for properties to generate profit, message me. Um, you can either message me on my Instagram, which is abby.everingham, or you can send me a quick text message at 705-344-5690. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and I will see you back next week.